Well, I don't know what you're doing this Friday night, but that sounds like a good use of your time, doesn't it? Sounds like a good use if you're not uh, doing anything, or even if you are, that might be a wonderful thing. And by you going to it, let's just, let's just be honest. You don't have to sit there and go, you know, we're having marriage problems. That's why we're coming. Uh, this is going to be the Healthy Marriage Conference. So everybody that has healthy marriages should go to that, all right? So we don't have to worry about going and thinking that anybody is going to judge us or anything else. The truth of the matter is all of us are broken, all of us are sinful, but it is, apart from the grace and the mercy of God, uh, we would be in big trouble, amen? And so let's uh, rest in that. Well, listen, let's get into our text this morning. We have a lot to do. Uh, we talked last week a great le- at great length about the power of the word to transform. And we said that we need transformation because of sin, sin that is in you and sin that is in me. I want to make clear that when we come together as a faith family on Sunday morning, when we gather together in corporate worship, we're, we're not coming primarily for comfort or for encouragement. We're not even coming primarily to hear um, some practical steps on how to live our lives or even to be able to glean new information that we've never had before. Uh, the reason that we gather together corporately is for the purpose of being transformed in the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why we come. Now, I know that there might be some who object and say, well, Pastor Mike, I thought that the reason that we came together was because we were coming to worship God. Well, we are, but I want to remind you that the greatest act of worship has nothing to do with instruments and has nothing to do with singing, has nothing to do with clapping hands or raising your arms. Instead, the greatest act of worship is us bending our knees in submission to God in light of who he is and in light of what he's commanded us in his word. God has sovereignly chosen in his divine wisdom to choose this word to be the tool that brings about that transformation inside of us. He brings transformation through the truth of the word. He brings about both salvation and what we call sanctification, which is the process of us becoming more like Christ and less like our old self. God uses the word to be able to do that. So we need the word of God to grow, to be transformed. But that's only half of God's transformational equation. See, the Word of God alone changes nobody. When we're reading the Word of God, when we're meditating on it, when we're hearing it taught, when we're hearing the Word of God preached, we must have not only the Word, but the Spirit of God and the power of the Spirit of God to bring about actual change and transformation in you and I. Arturo Azurdia, a, 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 professor South, or a professor of preaching, says this. He says, the unaccompanied scriptures are not sufficient for life transformation. The word of God must be attended by the operative power of the spirit of God if salvation and sanctification are to occur. In other words, if the word of God is the means by which God has chosen for you and I to be transformed, then the Holy Spirit is the hand that wields that tool to bring about such change in you and I. So for us to be transformed, how many want to be transformed, changed this morning, right? I imagine, I hope that that's why you're here. Well, it is going to take a combination of both the Word of God and the active power of the Holy Spirit working in you to bring about such transformation that God wants us to be transformed in So our spiritual transformation, in light of that, the Word and the Spirit, understand that our spiritual transformation can be stifled in two ways. 
There's more ways than this, but let me just give you two ways. One is that you are exempt or that you are kept from the Word of God. Let me just give you just a, just a simple warning this morning. If you're not in the Word, if the Word's not in you, if you're not studying, if you're not meditating on it, if you're not sitting under godly preaching and teaching, that, then there's no way for you to be able to grow. It's through the renewing of our minds that we become more like Christ, that we become transformed by the renewing of our mind through the Word of God. But there's a second way that can stifle our growth, and that is to impede the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. To impede the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And that's going to be the focus of the short little bit of time that I'm given uh, this morning. That is impeding the Holy Spirit, the Word, the Holy Spirit coming and working and having His way and using that Word in our life. If we impede that, we fail to change. We fail to be transformed. And so that's going to be the focus of our study this morning. I want to show you two ways or or two aspects uh, uh, or two things that will keep the Holy Spirit and the Word from having its way in you and in me. Number one, the first thing is an unregenerate heart. An unregenerate heart. Now, look at 1 Corinthians 2.14, the passage that I read uh, in, in the opening. We're going to hit two more in just a minute. But Paul writes, he says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Let me break that down for you. When he talks about the natural person, he's talking about who a person is before they come to faith in Christ. He's talking about somebody who is unsaved or what the scriptures call somebody who is unregenerate. They haven't been made new yet. And he says that this this, this unbeliever does not accept, which means that he fully rejects the things of the Spirit of God. What are the things of the Spirit of God? The teachings that are found in the Word of God. Teachings of salvation and sin and our need for forgiveness and redemption. He says that he rejects all of that kind of teaching. Why? Because he finds it to be foolish. He finds it to be completely and utterly foolish. You do know that you sound like an idiot to your lost friends, right? You... you, you don't know that, you do. When you, when you sit back and you talk about demons and the devil and angels and heaven and hell and eternal damnation, people look at you like you're crazy, right? Either that or you're not sharing those truths with other people. They look at you as though you're crazy. And why is that? Because they look at it as foolishness. But why do they believe it's foolish? Because the, Paul says, because they cannot or they, not, they are not able to understand Or let me say it differently, the unregenerate are blinded from God's truth. They're blinded. You spend some time in the Word of God, and and, and this is a consistent theme from Genesis to Revelation, that those who have not been born again are blinded in their sin. It talks about that they're in darkness, that the truth has been veiled from them, that they have been blinded. Let me read a couple scriptures that back this up so, so you agree with this. Proverbs 4.19 declares, The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Psalm 82 in verse 5 says, They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18, speaking of the lost Gentiles, Paul writes, Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 7, it says the mind set on the flesh. That means the carnal mind, somebody who has not been born again. He says the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. 
It's not able to do so. It's not able to understand the things of God's word. Now, now, what does that mean? Well, let me begin by telling you what that does not mean. It doesn't mean that people who are not believers in Jesus Christ, and maybe you're not one, that does not mean that you're an ignorant individual. It doesn't mean that you're not smart or that you don't have a high IQ. It doesn't mean that a person doesn't have a staggering in- intellect, somebody who doesn't know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And he's not saying that a lost person can't understand the basic principle and premises that are found in the Word of God. It's not as though we sit there and say, hey, God is love, and they're like, God is, I, I don't get it. I, I don't understand what that means. No, no, it, it, they understand it. They understand the, the precepts of, uh, 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 of salvation. They can understand the stories. They can understand the general principles and meanings. So what is it that he means when he says they do not know? It means uh, literally that they, they, they don't get the essence of it. This is relayed in his word. In the word understanding is the Greek word gnosko, which means not to know cognitively, but to know through experience. What he's saying about a lost individual is the word of God that's being preached or being taught or being read has no real significance to them because they've never experienced it. They've only heard it, and it's only in their mind. It hasn't gripped them. It hasn't changed them. That's what he means when he talks about that. And so the question for us then is, okay, where, where do we go with that? What, is, what does that ultimately mean? I think what he's saying is, when he goes, the reason that he can't understand it in this way, and then he gives us one step further. So follow his pattern. He says, people who are not believers, they, they, find, they reject the truth of God's word because they find it foolish. They find it foolish because they can't understand it. And then he gives us one more step, and he says they don't understand it because these things, these spiritual things, are spiritually discerned. In a very simple way, what he's saying is you can't understand these things in a real life-transforming way apart from the Holy Spirit working in you and teaching this truth inside of you, in your mind, in, in your heart. Let me put it in even a simpler way. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit alone brings understanding. The Holy Spirit alone brings understanding. Now, you may not be familiar with Christianity, so let me say this. We believe in one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all three co-equal God. One God. I know, it's confusing. I get it. Uh, it's, it's, it but, but one God. But each, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all have a different role in salvation. The Holy Spirit's role is to bring about and to teach fallen people and believers truth, God's truth. And he does this in two primary ways. Just stick with me for a moment. He does it through, first of all, what we call inspiration. The Holy Spirit captured the mind of God and moved on the hearts of men, authors of this book, Genesis to Revelation, and moved on them in such a way, inspired them in such a way, so that the very words that they were writing were were, and are the very words of God, all right? So in order for God to express himself, he had to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit that brought that. Are you tracking with me? You got me? But now that inspiration is over. Why? Because the canon is completed. The, the, God's not adding more books to the Bible. He's not adding. It's, it's complete. The canon is complete. So there's no more inspiration in that sense. Instead, the Holy Spirit keeps working through what we call illumination. Illumination is God taking what was once inspired, the Word of God, 
and bringing it to life and bringing you and I to understanding of what the Word of God ultimately says. So a lost person who doesn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, who is dead in their trespasses and sins spiritually, cannot understand the significance fully of the Word of God. Let me, let me explain how it goes. A lost person is able to learn that man is sinful, but he fails to have the ability to see the seriousness of his own sin and situation. He is able to hear that he is spiritually depraved, but he is unable to understand the depth of his own guilt. He is able to hear the preacher speak of hope and the role of Jesus, saving him from his sin and death, but he's unable to see his absolute need for Jesus and therefore refuses to call out for his grace and repent. He understands it cognitively, but there's nothing real in his heart because he's devoid of the Holy Spirit. There's a change that happens. And I hear this testimony all the time. When people finally get it in church, and it's like a light that comes on. They've been sitting in church forever. And then all of a sudden, the stuff that they found immensely boring now becomes alive and it becomes real to them. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 18, Paul says it this way. He says, For the word of the cross is foolishness of those who are perishing, but, it is, but, but to, the, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the power of God. It's, it's like at one time, and, and here's the significance, at one time uh, they understood the meaning, but they didn't understand the significance. When the Holy Spirit came in and changed them and saved them, now this thing that at one time was so incredibly boring is now burning within their heart and within their life. How many of you have ever experienced that know that? When you're sitting there in, in, in a service and you could hear people, and look, I understand we're tired sometimes, right? Ever tired? I know, I'll point you out if you lie, right? Sometimes you're just tired and you just kind of come into the service and it's okay. If you need to sleep, sleep. I'm okay. I'm not even offended by it. But I, but I hope that the sleeping is because you're tired and not because you're disinterested. That, that it's just, this is boring. This means nothing to me. We got to do something crazy. Let's, let's get a big monster truck in here. Let's do something different. For the believer in Jesus Christ, the word burns within them. And it's because of the role of the Holy Spirit. And let me give you one example. We're going to move to our second point. We're, we have such a little time this morning. But Luke chapter 24, Jesus has been resurrected. And Jesus has been resurrected. And now he's appearing to over 500 witnesses who see the resurrected Christ. And, and, and at the very end of Luke, he begins to, there's a group of men walking on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus appears to them. And the Bible says, Luke 16, that they did not recognize, or excuse me, chapter 24, verse 16, says that they did not recognize who Jesus was. The Bible says, but their ear, their, notice this, their eyes were restrained. Same idea, they were veiled, they were darkened. They didn't see him for who he truly was, so that they did not know him. But then the Bible says in verse 31, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. How were they opened? By the power of the what? Holy Spirit. And in verse 32, they said, Did not our heart burn within us while we talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, you know, I've come with my spouse or I've come with my mom or I've come with my dad. But the truth of the matter is this is nothing more than an intellectual me trying to learn and trying to live this stuff out. There's no fire in this. 
There's no passion in this. There's no stirring in this. Maybe it's because you still suffer from an unregenerate heart. And maybe you're sitting there and you're skeptical and go, look, man, I don't even believe all of this stuff. Well, let me ask you, are you an honest skeptic or a dishonest skeptic? An on, a dishonest skeptic says, hey, man, I hear this stuff. I don't like it. It's exactly what the Word of God says that you would say because you find it to be folly. You don't understand it. But if you're an honest skeptic, you might be able to come today and be able to say, hey, look, I don't know if it's true or not, but if it's true, I'm willing to be able to hear it out and what I would encourage you to do is even put God on the spot and say, God, if this is true, if this is actual true, I don't believe it, but if it is actual true, you do the work in me to show me that this is true. And you'll be added to the thousands who have done that before, and God has graciously shown himself to them. So the first thing that would keep us from growing from the teaching of the word is an unregenerate heart. The second thing that would keep us is an unresponsive heart, unresponsive heart. See, this illumination that the Holy Spirit does in us to lead us to this truth, to teach the Word of God, it doesn't stop at salvation. It continues with us through the process of sanctification. Every time you're reading the Word of God, meditating on it, you're, you're hearing the Word of God even now, the Holy Spirit is at work in you to be able to bring that and bring about change in you based on what it is, the truth that you are ultimately hearing. And so what we find is that there are some things that we can do uh, that will impede that Holy Spirit from ultimately working. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.19. I know it's a little hard sometimes to find these things. <coughs> 1 Thessalonians, let me give you a hint. It's in the latter part of the Bible. It's in the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 19. Um, give you just a second to open that up. And then immediately we're going to skip to another verse. But just, just look to that just for a moment. That's why we usually camp out in one, one passage, but bear with me. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says this. It says, it's very simple. It says, do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Well, the word uh, quench means to extinguish something, like to extinguish a fire, to put out a fire. Remember, the Holy Spirit in the New Testament is viewed, is pictured as a fire, right? So in, the, so in Acts chapter 2, when, when Pentecost takes place, God says, Jesus says, I'm going to send for you a comforter who's going to come. Who is it that ultimately comes? It's the Holy Spirit that comes. And when the Holy Spirit comes, what does he do? He comes and he appears as tongues of fire. And so he says, look, don't quench, don't extinguish the work of the Holy Spirit in you. So all I want you to see here. And this is that it's possible to impede his work in you, in the work, in, in, in the work of the word in you. So let's look at one more passage. Last one that we opened up to, I promise. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. Um, hopefully you're there. It says this. It, Paul writes, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, what I want you to see about this is that Paul, in both passages, are writing to believers in Christ. And, and, and we know that from the second one because he says, <coughs> by whom you were sealed to the day of redemption. What he's talking about is that when every person comes to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes, dwells within them. They are literally baptized by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in you. That's how you know that you're born again, by the way, is that you're producing fruit which is consistent with that repentance, with the Holy Spirit living inside of you. That's how you know. You don't know because you walked an aisle and prayed a prayer. You know because you were changed. You were changed. 
Now, now you're demonstrating love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the <clears throat> fruits of the Spirit. But what he tells us is, he says there, and he says, those who have been sealed to the day of redemption, those who are believers in Christ, he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. The word grieve means to make sad or to cause sorrow or, or distress. How could we make the Holy Spirit sad? Well, the context tells us. Beginning in chapter 4 in verse 17 through the end, he's describing what this transformed life looks like, what it looks like when somebody is born again, what they should do now that they're believers, and what they should no longer do now that they are believers in Jesus Christ. Let me give you some of those. In, 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 chapter, um, in, in chapters, uh, chapter 4, verses 25 through 27, he says, put away falsehood, speak truth with your neighbor, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun down, go down on your anger. Give no opportunity for the devil. Verse 29, he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. In verse 31, he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Verse 32, he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So what he's saying is, what quenches, listen to me very carefully, what quenches the Holy Spirit or what grieves the Holy Spirit is sin, continued sin inside of our life, even though the Holy Spirit has revealed to us what is right. When the Holy Spirit is teaching you and leading you and in, 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 in magnifying sin inside of your life, he's calling you to repent from that life. And what the Bible says is when the Holy Spirit's doing all of that, letting us know that there's something seriously wrong, letting us know that there's sin inside of our life, but yet we continue to try to move forward and be a believer in Jesus Christ while ignoring all of the sin that he's already revealed and illuminated to us he says that quenches the work of the Holy Spirit and the power of the word from continuing to transform you and I because you're not being obedient to what it is that he's already revealed. Does that make any sense? It makes too much sense to me, unfortunately. So what does all of this mean? Let me sum some of this up for you in, as we close. The preacher must be fully dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Preacher must be fully dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Let me read some of this for you. He cannot depend only upon his schooling, his education, the rules of interpretation when he's preaching the Word of God. He must have the Holy Spirit illuminate the truth of God's Word so that he can correctly understand not only the meaning of it, but the sense of the Scriptures. He should preach that message to himself first and allow it to burn in himself burn itself clean in his heart before he attempts to preach it to others. So it's not just this work of, hey, preacher, go out there and spend enough time in the Word of God. And because you've had enough education in your bachelor's and master's and doctor, whatever it is, and you've learned how to study all this stuff, that that's enough, the preacher of God should never place any confidence in that at all. Is it important? Yes, it's what he's called to, to rightly divide the word of truth. God has called him to be able to do that. But he must be completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Why do I bring this up, talk about myself? No, because all of you are preachers of the word in one, one, one aspect or another. If you are sharing the gospel with somebody else, if you're teaching the word of God to your children, you are preaching, you are declaring, you are publicly proclaiming the truth of God's word. And it's not enough for you. If you want to see your kids come to faith in Christ, you can't sit there and go, hey, I know how to share the gospel. Bam. Because I'm telling you, unless the word is combined with the moving of the Holy Spirit, nothing. 
nothing. We are completely dependent upon him. If the preacher is living in sin or has unconfessed sin on his heart, this quenches and grieves the Spirit. This limits the Holy Spirit's work of illumination on his mind and heart and can render his preaching powerless. Powerless. Not only for this preacher, but for all of those preachers out there who are being a witness to other people. It's not enough to know. You must be walking in the Spirit, not grieving the Spirit. For it to be delivered, to delivered in that power. Here's the second part. Congregation must be fully dependent upon the Holy Spirit. The preacher can get up and, and, and rightly and rightly preach in the power of the Holy Spirit, but if the congregate, if the congregation is living in disobedience or is suffering from unconfessed sin in their lives, they impede the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. Growth and transformation is hampered. So you, you see the significance of this, right? How many times, how many times do we know that there is sin inside of our life because the Holy Spirit has revealed it so clearly through his word, through the essence of the Holy Spirit just coming and convicting us? Whether it's the mistreatment of our spouse or husband or wife, maybe it's mismanagement of what God has entrusted us with, maybe it's, it's our language, maybe, maybe it's the way that we're treating our children, whatever it is. And yet with all of that and the Holy Spirit saying all of that, we're also quick to be able to bypass what we know the Holy Spirit is doing, do nothing about it, come down to, to the church at Mercy Hill and somehow think to ourselves that God is just going to continue to work in our life even though we're very clearly ignoring the truth that he has already illuminated inside of us. And we're fooling ourselves if we think that that's the case. If we say, God bless us, but yet God has said, but before we bless you, what about the stuff that I'm already dealing with you in right now? Repent. Turn from that. Rest in me. Get this right. Get this right because it's impeding your growth. The scriptures tell us that even, even if a man's not treating his wife right, his prayers immediately are impeded by God. He can't even pray right and have his prayers answered by God if things aren't even right. So two things that would keep us. One is... Um, the one thing that would keep is an unregenerate heart. That is you today. If maybe the Holy Spirit has been working, I have to trust that he is. And you sit there and say, yeah, that's not me. This has all been boring, but now it's beginning to burn in my heart. I would just call you to repent and believe in the completed work of Christ, which is simply that Jesus Christ took your place on a cross to die so that the wrath of God that was meant for you would be placed on him. He would die in your place. If you would repent, which means to turn from your sin and say, I no longer want to live this way. I want to live for him by faith in him. God will save you. God will save you. And then for the rest of us, it might be just kind of that, that unresponsive heart where, look, man, you, look, look, truth is you've been coming to church. I'm going to ask Nick to come at this time. But you may be coming to church for a while, and you can't for the life of you understand why nothing has been stirring. Nothing has been happening. Some of the time, things maybe intellectually might be interesting. That's why every time you come to the house of God, you're thinking to yourself, I wish you would preach something I haven't already heard. You're missing the point. It's not about whether you've ever, ever heard it before. It's whether you've experienced the reality of the truth or the power of the Holy Spirit. And the only way for that to be able to happen is for you and I to have our sin confess up to date and deal with whatever it is that God is dealing with us. 
We're going to pray. I'm going to ask you to stand at this time. We're going to pray. This is a time of response. I'm going to be down here if you want to pray with me. You can come and kneel if you want. You can kneel where you are if you want, whatever it is. But we want to make sure our hearts are right before the taking of the Lord's Supper this morning. Let's, let's pray. Dear Jesus, we love you. We thank you. God, I pray that you would continue to move in this place. We believe that the word of God and your Holy Spirit is working because the word of God is being preached. God, I pray that you would move that you allow us to get our hearts right before you. Some would come to initial faith. Some would come to a greater faith in you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we sing, would you respond? Just do business with God this morning. All right? Amen. I'm going to ask you to be seated, if you will. We are going to observe the ordinance of the Lord's Supper at this time. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward, if you will. If you are not a member here, we have an open Lord's Supper, uh, which means that as long as you are a part of God's kingdom, you're a part of His church, um, you've repented and believed in Christ, you can, please, we want to encourage you to take the Lord's Supper with us as well. So we now come to observe the ordinance of the Lord's Supper given to us in celebration, in the memory of this broken body and his shed blood. It is said that on that night, before he was betrayed at the conclusion of the feast of the Passover, which he and his disciples were celebrating, that he took the bread and having blessed it, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body, which is given to you. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, we come to you. <coughs> we're so grateful for the fact that you took our place on that cross that we were deserving of the beating, but you substituted yourself, your own back, your own flesh for us. We are eternally grateful. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Gentlemen.
John 6, 58 says, This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as our fathers ate and died, but he who eats this bread, speaking of Christ in faith, he says, shall live forever. We can go ahead and take. And on that same night, our Lord took the cup and having blessed it, he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my blood which was shed for you. Let's pray again. Lord, we come, we thank you for the shedding of blood. You say if there was no shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And God, it couldn't be the blood of bulls and goats that would take our place, but had to be a man. We thank you that the God-man gave his life and shed his blood for us. In your name we pray, amen.
Hebrews 9.22 says, And according to the law, I may almost say, all things are cleansed with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. 1 John 1.7 then says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus. His son cleanses us from all sin. Go ahead and take. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen? Amen. All right. And this is our gift to you. We want you to go home, and we want you to put this in a prominent place in your living room. Let everybody know that Mercy Hill gave you that little cup, all right? Um, let, me, let me do this. We've got one final announcement. Um, if I could have uh, Robert and your family and Megan, if you guys would please come. This is the Bales family. And um, they are, um, my brother is in the reserves, and he is going to be leaving for about 10 months uh, to go to Afghanistan and to be able to serve there. And one of the reasons I want to pray for them is not only for them and for their family as he goes and for his protection and for, the, for his family, as he's also just a, a, a dynamic man of God who wants to be a witness uh, on, on the, during these 10 months. And so he's going to actually be leading a Bible study, almost really a, a service on Sunday mornings for a group of people there that don't have a church. And, of course, he's going to be preaching the gospel and sharing the gospel. So we want to pray for them. We want to pray for the family. Uh, we, are, we, we have several, several military families uh, within our congregation to have for quite some time. And so we understand that strain, that difficulty of, of having uh, a father, the head of the home, to be able to go for a period of time. But as they're gone, we have a responsibility as a body to be able to watch after their family, right? There's a responsibility for us as their faith family. And so we, we've already talked. We met this week, of course, and we've talked about that. And, uh, of course, we love you guys so much. Let's pray for you. Can we pray for them this morning as they're about to, 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 to or at least one is about to head off, and for a safe return, but, but also that you be the witness and that God will protect you uh, morally and physically while you're there, protect your mind, protect your heart, and for you to be able to preach the word. And, and we're excited to see, brother, even if you come back and say, man, nobody came to faith in Christ. Man, if you were faithful to preach the gospel, we rejoice in that. All right, let's pray for you. Dear Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this family. Lord, as Robert goes, we pray for a hand of protection upon him and upon his family. God, we just pray for him, for his witness as he goes. God, we thank you for his service. We thank you for the whole family, for, uh, Lord, their sacrificial giving, uh, Lord, in this way of being without uh, dad and, and, and the father for a period of time. But, God, we just pray that he is there, that you would not only work in his life, but you'd work in this family's life, that you'd strengthen Megan as she continues to lead and continues to raise these children in the admonition of Jesus Christ, that you protect the heart of these young ones, Lord, that they would long, Lord, for their father, which is a demonstration of what it ultimately looks like to long for our Heavenly Father. God, we pray that you would continue that work of salvation in their life. We love you and praise you. And everyone said, amen, amen. All right, I'm gonna have you guys stand right over there and we're gonna have people just kind of come up afterwards and make you feel really uncomfortable, all right? And tell you that they're happy. Let's stand together, let's stand together. Hey, as we always do, make sure that you rub elbows or whoever, whatever you wanna do to keep yourself clean uh, with people next to you. I know that we may have some first-time guests here. Again, thank you for being here. We hope that when you leave, uh, your, your prayers, man, what a mighty God that we serve uh, when you leave this place. I want to invite you back as well. Uh, please stop by the uh, welcome desk. Somebody will be standing there. I think Chris, oh, by the way, the team has returned from, um, from India safely. Amen. They've returned uh, safely. And, um, and one, of our, one of our partners now that we've been working with, uh, Avi and his wife, Saloni, uh, they're both Indian, and we're working with them to plant churches 
in the most densely, unpo- densely populated area of unreached people group in the entire world. That's that part of India. And we praise God. When I was there back in November, uh, they were meeting with their very first group in the slums, that, the group meaning a church, trying to develop that church. And this last time, they've had about seven There are eight groups that are meeting across the city of Mumbai uh, of believers who are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Isn't that wonderful? And so we praise God for that. And so they were able to go and and do EV in the streets uh, to be able to share with them and to be able to develop that relationship even further. So let's let's, uh, make sure that you welcome each other and uh, let's close in a word of prayer. And don't forget our family down here to welcome them. Dear Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. God, you are truly good. We worship you this morning, not only because of what you've done, but because simply of who you are. Lord, as we go, we are witnesses to the lost and dying world. We are going into the mission field right now as we leave. I pray, Lord, that you would not only go with us, but that, God, that you would use us to see your will done here in Nassau County and around the world. We love you, and we praise you in your name. Everyone said amen. Amen. All right. We'll see you guys later.